0: Welcome to Biohacker's Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohacker's Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Elsie von Spike. Elsie is a PhD candidate, candidate at the University of California School of Medicine. She's currently in her sixth. Uh, fifth year of doctoral study and will be defending her doctor of philosophy in November this year of 2017 and she's currently at the Department of Biological Chemistry and is advised by Dr. Bogie Anderson. Um, Hi, thanks so much for coming on to the episode today and the reason I wanted to get you on is because you were a co-author in a very cool study that just came out and it's all got to do with circadian rhythms and skin. And Funny, what you're actually the my first um doctor to be, um, who's talking who's who's um gonna educate my listeners about circadian rhythms, and I'm very keen on that. So if you wouldn't mind just giving a brief overview, what, what are circadian rhythms?
0: So circadian rhythms are this or is this mechanism that allows organisms to anticipate daily changes in their environment. So organisms that have this ability to kind of predict the changes ahead of them can be more equipped for survival. Um, so as you know, during the day we're active, we're intaking food, um, we're more prone to predation, whereas at night we're resting, our cells are rejuvenating, we're kind of detoxing. Um, and so having this rhythm allows us to be better equipped to deal with the external changes around us, but also on the cellular level, every single cell in our body has, um, the circadian rhythm, which allows us to separate, Different biological processes so that they don't occur at the same time Um, that could be detrimental. So, for instance, if you're synthesizing your DNA at the same time as you're having oxidative metabolism, this may result in, you know, DNA damage as a result of the reactive oxygen species. So, it's really important both in our relationship with the environment as well as just in our physiological um organismal self
1: Mm -hmm. and uh i guess the slang word for circadian rhythms is body clock yes and i think i think what's amazing here when i've been telling people about the study that you were involved in is everyone thinks about the body clock with just oh that's just the this thing in our body that tells us when to fall asleep and when to wake up but it's so much more than that as you've explained already Yeah. yeah and and just to think even our skin has a body clock it has a mm-hmm. it has this rhythm involved in it and i wondered then then just to educate people just a little bit more before we get into your study just a bit more it is that concept that we have a central body clock from what i understand in our brain and that's a nice long word called the suprachiasmatic nucleus or scn mm-hmm. And we've also got one, and then we've got all these other little clocks in all the other cells and organs of our body and skin is the big one we're going to be talking about today. Is that an easy, simplified overview for someone who isn't a PhD candidate?
0: Yeah, so back in the day when um, this was first being studied about 100 years ago, it was thought that there was only one clock and it existed in the brain. And you're right, it was the suprachiasmatic nucleus. But throughout the past, um, I would say 50 years, it's become more well understood that there's actually circadian clocks in every single cell of our body. And they're not only responsive to signals from the SDN, but they can also be responsive to signals that stem from other things like activity, temperature, eating. Um, so even independent of light, it's been shown that, you know, food schedules can actually entrain or reset your peripheral body clocks, actually, independent of light. So that's why we looked into how um, feeding can be such a potent resetting stimulus for peripheral body clocks. Um,
1: yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So the, the title and, uh, thank who, whoever came up with the title for your paper, thank you for making it very simple because some of the, the science titles can be exceptionally complicated, but it's straight to the point. And this is, um, it was published in the, the journal called Cell Reports. I believe, um, in 2017. And I'll link to all of this in your show notes episode page. But it's, it's titled, Time-Restricted Feeding Shifts the Skin Circadian Clock and Alters UVB-Induced DNA Damage, I believe was the full title. So nice and simple. Basically, when you eat, quote, changes the way that your skin functions. It, um, could you maybe just explain a little bit more about your study then for people listening?
0: Sure. So as I mentioned, um, just a few decades ago, it's been shown that eating schedules can entrain or reset the circadian rhythm in peripheral organs, but this has really only been shown in very highly or organs involved in organismal metabolism, such as the liver. You know, the liver, of course, we expect it to respond to food intake, Um, but since we are a skin lab, we wanted to see can feeding reset or entrain the circadian clock in your skin. So the skin has these great progenitor cells, which help us you know, heal after wounding, and they're replaced about 28 days in humans. Um, so they have this really robust circadian rhythm. And so we wanted to feed mice during certain times of the day or the night. So mice are nocturnal, keep in mind. So everything I say now, you have to kind of reverse for humans. So we fed mice um, during restricted times, only for like four hours or so during the daytime or the nighttime. And so, as I said, mice normally eat at night. So that would be their normal phase or their normal um, time of eating. And so we fed the mice during these schedules. And then we collected their skin to look at mRNA expression. And we found that about 10% of their the genes that are expressed in the skin have a rhythmic um, trend in expression. So about 10% are circadian, we call them. Um, and this is highly dependent on feeding schedule. So we see that you know uh mrna levels are changing in a diurnal fashion and this is really really changed depending on feeding so we want to say or we wanted to ask is there a functional output to these changes um so we previously um we've shown in our lab and other people have shown that we have a rhythm in uvb induced dna damage so the sensitivity to dna damage from sunlight, pretty much. Um, so we wanted to see because we knew that that was regulated in a circadian way. Um, can different feeding schedules actually modulate the sensitivity to UVB induced DNA damage? And UVB induced DNA damage is kind of, a, um, it's regulated, people think in kind of two facets. One is the level of cells that are in their S phase or synthesizing DNA. Because as you can imagine, when cells are synthesizing DNA, the chromatin is spread out and kind of ready to be damaged. It's more sensitive. Mm -hmm. And the other aspect that can help regulate, or that regulates DNA damage, is the expression of this nucleotide excision repair factor, XPA. So, it's this little enzyme that kind of controls or repairs the double stranded breaks. And so, we looked at both of those things in our study to see okay, what could be causing this change in UVB induced DNA damage? And we saw that the levels of XPA were indeed affected. So, if you feed mice in this restricted manner, um, XPA becomes the expression of XPA in the skin becomes kind of dampened. And we found that um, the cell proliferation in the skin did not change so actually it still remained completely rhythmic um it became dampened as well but it still remained in phase which the phase would have been the thing that we're looking at so all in all um there could be multiple mechanisms at play to explain why we see a shift in dna damage you know from day from being more sensitive to dna damage during the night as opposed to the day whereas then in the day time fed group it becomes more sensitive during the day than the night and so as i said you know all these can be um it's a little more complicated in humans as you could imagine Mm -hmm. but um, we can kind of get some idea of what abnormal feeding schedules do to the circadian clock in the skin and this may be applicable to humans as well Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so so it was fascinating then to, the the biggest factor it sounds like was that it was the repair mechanism was damaged well, it it was it was offset because you were changing the natural time when the mouse would eat and so when it was then when its its skin was exposed to UVB and it would natu- and it would have this mechanism to repair that it wasn't repairing as well because it was it was it wasn't coming out at the right times
0: yes exactly so just um you know modulating the circadian clock in a way that isn't in tune with the light cycle so something um become out of phase will something still remain in phase like cell cycle and that can create detrimental effects depending on you know when you're exposed to uv
1: do humans have that um xpa that you mentioned
0: yes they do and there's one study that looks at it in human beard um, skin cells and so it's pretty cool yeah and so in humans it's actually highest at 7 a.m so it's been suggested that humans should kind of restrict their uv exposure or sunlight exposure to the early morning and it's lowest um, in the early evening so you wouldn't want to go tanning, let's say, at 4 p.m. That would be detrimental based on if you have like a normal intact circadian rhythm as a human.
1: That's a great tip already to thinking this. I'm thinking, I live um, near the UK and especially the north of England, sunbeds are very popular. And you would have people who might want to do sunbed tanning in the winter and say it's after work potentially, so it's late in the evening. And already there, I can hear... Maybe if you are following circadian biology and you're in that in that phase, that you don't want to be doing sunbed tanning late in the day.
0: Exactly. Yes.
1: Oh, fascinating. Okay. Um. And with the, it, you, you. It's funny you mentioned the beard because I had a previous guest on the show and we were talking about clay masking. Um. He makes a, a natural clay product for to help the skin, and I came across. Some i can't remember now but it was about hair growth and how there's a the circadian bio, biology to hair and it got me thinking so as a male should i be shaving in the evening or should i be shaving in the morning to help hair growth <laughs> you know as a just uh, it was sorry this is a side set to your your yeah. study but it just it or, you know that's it's just coming back to your concept that yeah we've got these rhythms in all these cells of our body and it it was something silly like wow so is it better for a male to shave in the evening because of the timing of when hair is growing? That was it. So I, I don't want to be cutting it in the morning maybe.
0: Yeah, exactly. I believe I remember when those studies were being done um, and you're right, you will get a greater five o'clock shadow, I think. If you that shave. was it.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. You don't get a 5am uh, shadow, but you get a five o'clock shadow. And that was the, yeah. the idea behind that. So should I be shaving in the evening?
0: Uh, yeah, I would recommend that. <laughs> Sorry. That's... Plus
1: time in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, um, so, I mean, your, your studies made headlines around the world too because it, I think, as you said, it, this is a mouse study, but we haven't had a human study at this point. But we can sort of already extrapolate just some general ideas as to maybe people should be thinking, okay, um, if I eat at the wrong time of the day, it's going to affect the ability for my skin to heal itself the next day. Is it as Is it when we're talking about this, is that how fast things could happen? So if I ate too late this evening today, my skin would function differently already tomorrow? Or is this sort of a time response where I'd have to do this for X amount of days in a row before we saw that change?
0: So that's a great, great, great question. I'm so glad you asked that because in these studies, we, restricted the feeding every single day for an entire month. And that's actually necessary to reset the circadian clock in the skin. So, you know, feeding abnormally for one day affects the liver clock, no problem, but it takes a little while for the skin and other less metabolically active organs to kind of um, catch up. So I would say that, you know, this is mostly um, a warning for like shift workers that have to do this every single day. Um, whereas if you're a weekend warrior and you eat a you know a hamburger at night one night, um, you know you may not want to go super tanning the next day, but it's not going to affect you for a super long term effect.
1: Okay. Um, I- uh, it's going to sound funny, but you always see it on the holiday programs where people go on holiday, you know, they go party, they're drinking late, then they eat late because they have food after they're drinking. But then the next day they're in the sun, you know, on the beach trying to recover from a hangover. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if yes. you've, if you've just happened to do that, it's, you're okay. Just if it's that weekend, you did it. But, uh, if you were doing that lots before that, you've already trained, trained your skin to react differently.
0: But I mean, I would recommend always wearing sunscreen and never, you know, just laying out and getting burnt. <laughs> yeah. I will change you. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so what is the definition? So I, that was the one big one I had because everyone mentions the word too late. But what mm-hmm. is the definition then of too late, would you say, for a human to eat?
0: So... For humans, we are diurnal, so we're supposed to be active and eating during the daytime. So, based on you know so many other studies dealing with all different aspects of physiology, I would say restricting your food intake to just the daytime hours is probably the best way to go if you really want optimal health. And this is going, like I said, for not only just your skin but also your entire body. Um, so I would say 6 p.m. when the sun's going down, you know, you don't want to be eating. You want to eat right before then. And then kind of really, and I think the later it gets, the worse it'll get. Um, so you don't want to, definitely don't eat at midnight. <laughs>
1: yeah. it's Yeah. And that, um, at one stage, I'm, I'm hoping I can get uh, Dr. Sachin Panda. He's also a circadian biologist.
0: Yeah, he's here um, in down south california as well so i've met multiple times he's
1: great yeah because i'm just learning more about the time restricted feeding windows and the benefits when you're thinking from a circadian biology so a lot of my listeners are involved in the low carb high fat way of eating or ketogenic way of eating and from your study and dr panda's studies the one thing i never hear in that community is about when people say i'm struggling or there's issues that crop up it's people asking what's your window of eating when do you eat when's the first bite you eat when's the last thing you eat in the day because according to your the world of research that you're involved in that has a massive effect on how your body functions just by the times of day when you do eat
0: Yeah, and i believe he his lab has actually developed kind of um i think a cell phone app that will help you track your you know, when you're eating and how your circadian phase is doing. Um, and I forget what it's called, but you should link on that as well, because it's allowing, um, you know, non-scientists to really be able to track their circadian eating and activity and they can, you know, track their success on weight loss plans, et cetera. So um, yeah, I forget what it's called. Yeah,
1: I, I, I have seen it before. I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, so. With the publication also of your study and a lot of the media outlets using the headline, if you eat too late, you're going to get skin damage. Was there something else that you felt that the point wasn't getting across properly from your study in that? So we we mentioned then how long you'd need to keep eating too late um, to create the damage. And and by definition, someone would think too late is when you're eating past 6 p.m., Maybe in the evening on a regular basis, which, to be honest, I think a lot of people—that's normal people's cycle—that they would, I know, especially in the UK, I, I would only get to eat my dinner between seven to eight PM sometimes after work. So already, that's that's why I love this, and I want to talk more about circadian biology because it's cha- automatically I've already changed my feeding window now to to think more in a body clock fashion that I don't want to be eating so late in the evening as a long term health benefit maybe.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think making the shift working community really aware of these problems because they are really going to be the ones extremely affected by this. And of course, you know, after a week of shift working, they may want to go tanning on the beach, but they need to be aware that they're, you know, pretty susceptible. Um, And, you know, even just us, if we have one um, late night eating it might still be able to affect us the next day. And I think the take home is that we just don't know. And I don't think it's worth risking it to, um, you know, be more prone to skin cancer, which UVB and UVB UVB may cause the skin cancer, you know, in this, in this nation and probably across the world.
1: Yeah. And so, um, As I mentioned, I I come from South Africa, so a very sunny environment. And I was always fascinated when I I read studies that skin conditions like melanoma, so the deadly skin cancer, was actually very prevalent in the the northern hemisphere in darker countries like the UK. And I'm already just trying to think hypothetically that potentially we're talking circadian biology here where people have disrupted light cycles because they're exposed to more artificial lights in the evening in the northern hemisphere. And they're eating too late. And that's potentially then what's maybe linking to weaker skin protection in the long term, which is how people in the northern hemispheres could be predisposed to things like melanoma.
0: Yes. And when you see one of those um, world maps of the light emittance in all the different countries, you know, Europe is a big player in that light emittance, and especially London, Um So I think, yeah, Europeans do have a habit of eating later, um, and that could potentially contribute to um, melanoma, for instance. But I think there's also the fact that there is less melanin in their skin. And so melanin, you know, in darker skin tones protects from the harmful effects of UV. So I think it's probably multiple factors Mm. at play.
1: It's a
0: different way of thinking that we should kind of get into um, for sure
1: yeah and that's what i love about this if you think body clockwise, if you think circadian biology you could you could sort of tie in as, as a foundational thinking for so many different conditions and illnesses and when you're trying to biohack when you're trying to improve your own health is is um always try to get that foundation correct so just get that body clock more in tune and then you can try tweak your other metabolic functions on on top of that
0: it's necessary i mean if you if you're on a weight loss plan There's no point in doing it unless you're, you know, eating at the correct time and going to sleep at the correct time. Um, You know, it's a great detriment when I see people um, trying to lose weight and they're just they're eating their diet granola at 9 p.m. I'm like, what are you doing? So, um, yeah, so definitely metabolically, but also this new idea that it can have an effect on your skin health and how your skin ages
1: potentially. And how, how are you finding your your research um, being sort of syndicated into the general medical community too? Because um, that must be so strange for some general practitioners or medical doctors think, okay, so... I tell patients I should be asking patients what time of day they eat too, because that makes a massive difference.
0: yeah, I've actually um met with some medical doctors um in a meeting in the past like six months, and they were really surprised to see that, oh, this actually should be something we're asking our patients, and you know, um I have uh directed my project also to look at the immunological function. Or the immunological modulation by the circadian clock in the skin. So that's something I'm just kind of starting um, in the lab, and it's amazing because there's there's definitely a lot of opportunity for chronotherapeutics, which means that you treat diseases, you know, or you apply medication at certain times of the day for optimal effect. Um, so I think that this has to be done in the medical field, and um, I have friends teaching medical school, and they're teaching their students this. So it's really Fantastic. exciting and you know worthwhile to kind of get this out in the public eye.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was that was another when you were saying the application of certain medicines, even um, I believe it was chemotherapy or radiotherapy, that there's optimal times in a day to allow your body to get exposed to that in a more efficient manner so yeah you 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 never hear of that in an oncology lab they would say unfortunately it would be i can't imagine a poor oncology lab trying to do that thinking oh dear so we can only treat patients between 8 a.m and 10 a.m outside of that it's actually it's it's body clock inefficient (laughs) you're not going to get the best effect but it's, it's something for people to think about Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, working in a skin lab, then and circadian rhythms, I've only looked at your one study here. Have you been involved in other studies thus far, too, when it comes to to this?
0: So, like I said, I've kind of been pioneering the immunology work and um, looking at how feeding schedules and the circadian clock regulate the interferon response in the skin. So that is something I'm really excited about. I'm just writing it up. To, you know, graduate with this story. Um, so there's this drug called amicomod, which is this topical cream and it's used to be carcinoma and actinic keratosis and also genital warts. And it has a lot of different off-top, um, off-label uses, but it works by activating the skin's immune system. And then, you know, the immune cells come in, they fight off whatever, um, either a virus or cancer for instance and that's how that's the whole point of this um, compound so i'm looking at how feeding or if different feeding schedules can actually impact the um potency fullness of yeah. this yeah potency yes uh the potency of this compound wow and so another study you'll get to <laughs> Touch
1: base on yeah again fascinating to think even if i put a topical cream on um what time of day i've been eating could be affecting how well that topical cream can work on my body
0: Mm -hmm.
1: wow again this is why i love this stuff it's just it's so cool and if the more this information can get out there the more informed consent and better decisions people can make i believe Mm -hmm. um so what, what are there any good general things that people should know about um with the skin clock that what what our skin is naturally doing so you mentioned already that our skin is strongest first thing in the morning um for light exposure and weakest yes. at the end of the day
0: Yes. so um yeah Pretty much, if you want to go into a tanning bed, do it right when you wake up, and you'll be less prone to skin cancer, based on you know the results of the study.
1: Okay, wow, and um, and then healing rate too. So our, our, naturally, our skin is healing in the evening when it's dark at the late at the end of the day too.
0: It's more sensitive to damage at the later end of the day, so it's not healing as efficiently. So, like, Ah, for instance, levels are actually highest in the morning in humans, so that's why I say go tanning in the morning, um, because that's when you have greater expression of this protein, you're able to repair your DNA more efficiently. So it's not necessarily that you're getting um, less or more damage, it's actually the repair rate of the damage. You're able to kind of patch it up really quickly, and all this happens within minutes. It's a very um well there's a time course but the activity starts in a minute so
1: you know when you when you talked also about uh, europeans and they tend to eat later this is when it comes to circadian biology and research i always think about are the mediterraneans so your greeks and your italians and they do naturally when i went to italy i saw that the families naturally eat very late in the evening and they also are in very sunny environments um i know that their skin naturally has more melanin so they they tan better but i i just wondered yeah um potentially then with the mediterraneans are they according to circadian biology they they're more predisposed to skin damage would you say well wow,
0: that's a great question i mean You know, like I said, there's really a lot of different factors play, and I think with Mediterraneans, you have to look at what they're eating as well. You know, they have a very healthy diet with, you know, lots of olive oil and um, legumes and things like this. So I think in American culture, we're we're not eating hummus at night; we're eating cheeseburgers. So I think um, just the 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 nutrients in the food and I know they have; they ingest a lot of antioxidants. Um, So I think that that could also play a role. I mean, wasn't there just a study showing that if you eat more tomatoes, your your skin is better equipped to handle DNA damage? So I think that we have to look at when people are are eating, what they're eating, as well as you know um, things that are quite obvious like melanin content. Mm.
1: Yeah, so that's that to Yeah, I fully really agree. And and to think uh, in the Western worlds um, that people potentially are when they snack at nights, it's not they're not snacking on on raw, you know, natural olives. That they're yeah. they're snacking on crisps or quick quick fix, quick carbohydrate kind of foods that are, have been processed and maybe with rancid kind of omega six oils and it's so stuff stuff that's not conducive to healthy long term skin. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so what I guess now, um, uh, having looked at skin and your study, are there, are there any circadian hacks like biohacks that you would also recommend? So I loved it that you, you said about when, when to even look at sun tanning, but, uh, in your, in your own personal case, do you, would you say there's a, you have a personal time, uh, time restricted feeding window yourself? Do you work? Because now... This is sort of getting into the world of intermittent fasting, even where people, and that's becoming a lot more trendy too. When people say I only eat sixteen eight, so I fast for sixteen hours and I eat for eight hour window in a day. Um, would you say that's pr- that according to circadian biology? That's it that sounds like a good idea to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, if it's light out, you should be you know you should be eating. I personally am a grazer, so I eat small portions throughout the entire day and you know that's what works for me and of course everybody is totally different so honestly i would i would recommend for people to see you know keep a journal see their um how their body is responding to these different feeding regimens and just don't eat at nighttime.
1: yeah that, that's, <laughs> that's the, the biggest takeaway
0: home. um and I also think, you know, even exercising at night can be potentially bad because that's setting your circadian rhythm to become active during the wrong time of the diurnal schedule. So I highly recommend just being really active and, you know, eating during the day and then really resting at night, turning down the lights. That's also another complete hack that I would highly recommend. Um, just not being exposed to the bright lights at night, which will um you know alter your activity levels and potentially your skin
1: um because then have you also looked at um i'm thinking practically what people do tend to do is that they would leave work and then they may go to the gym to work out but gyms have very fluorescent lights with lots of blue wavelength light Mm -hmm. and does that light so i know this is why i wear glasses that also help to to reduce the blue light wave from coming off yeah. my computer screen here, but and I wear the darker ones at night. But I'm thinking I've always come across the concept that even our skin is sensitive to that light. Is our skin sensitive to the blue wavelength of light? In that sense from our from light bulbs?
0: That's that's great that you say that because my sister is just now telling me, you need to you need to know this because this is your field. Um, there are there are are emerging studies showing that blue light is more detrimental to your skin and can cause damage, even though, you know, typically we only thought UV could cause damage. So those um, those studies are just now coming out, and I definitely need to look more into them because um, I just haven't. But I think that studying that, and especially studying it in a circadian manner, so, you know, exposing human skin to light or taking a biopsy from humans that are exposed to this blue light during the daytime or the nighttime, um, might be really, really important in human health and just learning more about what is actually going on in our skin and what's, you know, what's causing damage in our skin. So right now those are very, very preliminary studies from what I can tell, Mm -hmm. um, I'll wait a couple of years before leaving them.
1: <laughs> okay. And so, cause within our skin, we're talking, we, we have two big layers. We have the epidermis and the dermis and the dermis is for anyone who, who doesn't know that's the layer where all the cell growth happens and then pushes up and you get the top surface of your skin is called your epidermis. Um, with this skin clock, this peripheral clock, is it in the dermis or the epidermis or both? Do you know?
0: So it's in every cell of our body. Okay. So- That's a great point. But um, so our dermis is actually mostly fibroblasts. Our epidermis, there's actually the basal layer, which is the layer of the progenitor cells. So it's actually in the epidermis that your cells are dividing and growing to create the thicker epidermis, which is, um, you know, the outermost barrier. Okay. And so really those those uh, progenitor cells or stem cells; those are highly circadian. And so, you know, all cells have a rhythm, but these ones have a very drastic rhythm. Um, so, it's really exciting to study them because you wouldn't think that the skin has this rhythm, but it it does.
1: And will we? Is the kind of study that you did will will this be able? Will they be able to do a human study? Is it ethically okay to do that to a human too? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So um, there's many studies, like I said, with the hair follicles from the beard. Um, You know, obviously, a big issue with human studies is the fact that you have to take a biopsy of the human. And that could um, be painful. It might lead to scarring. So. I think doing studies on humans that are going to undergo some kind of reductive procedure such as like a tummy tuck or a breast reduction, if you apply u v right before you excise the tissue, then I could see that being um you know a good study plan and reduce the pain and the healing time mm-hmm. from patients and so really, I think um medical doctors have to learn about these studies and this is so great that you're interviewing me because you know the more this gets out there the more medical doctors will be aware of it and they'll they'll immediately want to study it um so i think it's definitely possible and it should be done um it's just getting the right medical professionals to take it on
1: and so your interest is because you said you're involved with the skin lab so it's 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 just mainly skin that as the organ that you study
0: So we study transcriptional networks, and in you know we have transcriptional transcriptional networks all you know in every single cell. It's how we regulate gene expression and protein expression. But um, yeah, we focus on the transcriptional networks in the skin during development and um, during wound healing, and also we're even looking now at the single cell level of. What's the transcriptional activity going on in every single different cell type of the skin? So these are kind of new studies that are looking at, you know, potentially the heterogeneity of the skin. So, for instance, we might not just have one circadian phase or circadian rhythm in the skin. It actually is an amalgamation of many circadian rhythms that are, you know, potentially. Slightly different in phase to each other, um, and different in different cell types. So I think, yeah, looking at the cell or looking at the skin and looking at all the different cell types, it's it's a very heterogeneous genius kind of fruitcake. So we have a lot um, of things to investigate and work with.
1: And it's also got me thinking: skin that's already trained for the sun. So someone who's already got a tan. Mm-hmm. Do you think this XPA is still going to be delayed if you've already trained your skin by bathing it in the sun, but then you you end up eating too late. That you're, you, you this is where you may think, "Oh, I'm protected because I've got a good tan." But if at a cellular level, doing what you do, you could actually see like actually, unfortunately, you're not doing this XPA this repair mechanism. So you're giving yourself a false sense of security, thinking, "Ah, oh, I've trained my skin to." be good in in the sun because I'm tan but actually if you look at a cellular DNA level it's, it's not repairing efficiently.
0: So even people with dark skin tones they still have circadian XPA um, I believe I'm pretty sure but yeah so it's this whole other aspect of skin biology that you wouldn't think of by just like looking at somebody um and it should certainly be considered by people of all races because we just don't know and i think it's better to be safe than sorry
1: um mm-hmm. and even the concept of young skin versus old skin so i'm thinking a newborn baby or a toddler versus a healthy young adult versus a elderly person um it's the same concept uh well i mean newborns are different because they're they're breastfeeding maybe throughout the night or something else going on there is it is this something you've even had a look at or it's, it's come up
0: so it's actually pretty cool um in humans the there is not a robust circadian rhythm as you know um throughout the first months and months and months of life because these mothers these poor mothers are um having to take care of their kids every few hours So that's actually, you know, there's been developmental studies in mice showing that indeed the circadian rhythm, all these circadian gene expression, it doesn't happen like that in babies. So they could even be more predisposed. Um, So we really don't know what's happening during the development aspect. Um, Surprisingly, there's been studies in human eyelids. So when you have an eyelid lift, Mm -hmm. they'll take of skin and they'll actually measure the amount of DNA mutations in that skin. So people that look totally normal and have, you know, no cancer, no nothing, um, they still have mutations and it's just that they haven't gotten the right um, combination of mutations to cause uh, skin cancer. So that study was really surprising to me. It came out like last year or this past year. Um, that even totally normal people are still getting DNA damage and just on their eyelids. Um, and this probably goes for other parts of the body too, but if your sun exposed at all, it's obviously, I think, extremely important um, important to keep in mind when your DNA repair factors are most active during your circadian schedule and how your different feeding schedules can... Potentially modulate that, um, and this this is applicable. Like I said, at any age past development. So after, you know, um, I think the first year of life in humans, then you're able to have a circadian rhythm, and this would be most applicable to people that have that.
1: And uh, and <clears throat> a person who's who's in the older age group is this? Did they have a different circadian rhythm to a young adult who's in their twenties and thirties?
0: So that's a good question. Um,
1: <laughs> Sorry, I'm challenging has, you with a couple of side ones.
0: So um, they do have abnormal sleeping patterns sometimes. So that's one of the aspects of aging is that they don't sleep as well. So their circadian clock may indeed be a little more um, arrhythmic than people that are you know healthy in their 20s and 30s. Um, and of course there's a lot more going on than just their circadian rhythm, right? It's, um, their skin is thinner, for instance, that could cause them to be more susceptible to UVB induced DNA damage. And, um, yeah, so I think elderly people have to, you know, just don't go outside at all because it's way too much sun and, um, they're really not capable of mounting these DNA repair Pathways, I don't think as efficiently as younger people. So, and this may indeed be because of a lower amplitude of circadian rhythm. Um, But this is also very heterogeneous. So, in humans, the circadian clock is very, very person. Uh, dependent. So as I was reading your biohackers lab webpage, you said you think N equals one experiments are really critical. And I'd have to ex- extremely agree with you because this is something that is going to vary a lot um, depending on the person, the age, you know, their melanin levels and other aspects
1: yeah and that's that's the pro- the my thinking pattern is that um there may be generalized health advice with epidemiological studies where you've looked at millions or hundreds of thousands of people, but at the end of the day we all have lived very different lives. you know we all come from different backgrounds, different everything we've exposed our bodies to different chemicals different whatever's so we're we are unique in this world in lots of different ways, so it's always good to to take concepts but then at the end of the day apply them to you and and try to figure out is that better or is that worse or is that no difference and is that something i want to do or not do so then equals one concept um so i'm just also thinking then using um the research that you guys have discovered that uh with my my genetic background so i'm a i'm a redhead from northern hemisphere uh sort of uh, background so it means i'm fair-skinned and i'm more prone to not tanning very well but i could actually in a way help strengthen my skin give it a better chance by eating at the right times yes and i love that idea
0: yeah it's amazing but obviously the first and foremost um way to prevent dna damage would be to wear sunscreen cover up my sister you know layers herself in sun protective clothing from head to toe because she's also very fair skinned so i think that is the forefront um but then other things you can do to modulate your lifestyle would be to eat at the proper time of day for instance
1: yeah and um and getting the the right exposure because i guess that's the key thing here. I, and what my personal experiment is, is, is trying to get my body clock to become more robust. Cause if yeah. I can get that foundation correct, it means not only would from a sleep benefit, but my cells are able to repair themselves more efficiently. And that sells throughout my body by giving myself a better chance at having a more efficient body clock here. And that's to do as simple as when do you eat and when's your eating window, which comes back to your time restricted feeding windows. Yep. And yep. I love that idea. And then, yeah, you can biohackers do what you eat in those windows and uh, quantities and everything else. Um, and the, the same thing with the light then. so, But your body clock starts when, the, uh, the, when you first have something that's non-water in the morning, doesn't it? That's your window. That's when it begins.
0: Um, I think it From begins. From a food perspective. Oh, from a food perspective. Yeah, not from Um, a
1: light. I know that as soon as the light comes in, then then the rhythm's also beginning through your your melanopsin on your retina, but that's a different talk.
0: (laughs) Yes, yeah. So I would say when you ingest food for the first time in the morning, that's going to kind of signal the beginning of the food entrainment for the day.
1: And that's got me thinking then, coming back to the intermittent fasting, about... People skip breakfast or they eat later in the day. So, from a circadian biology point of view, that's maybe not a good thing to do.
0: Yes, um, absolutely. And that I think is well represented in the news that, you know, people who skip breakfast um, have a harder time and they're not as healthy. So, that's just a very broad general thing, you know. Um, I agree with it because knowing what I know about the circadian clock and feeding um, to get your optimal phase. You do. Well, what I do is, you know, eat first thing or, you know, within one hour of waking up and then um, you know, eat however you choose to during the day, whatever restricted feeding schedule you want, but then really limit or Don't eat at all after the sun goes down. You know, when you see the sun setting, you want to dim your screens, you want to um, put away all your food. (laughs) So I think even if you have a light snack, it could be still um, detrimental. And there are guidelines online, for instance, about if you have to eat at night, what are the safest and healthiest snacks? And those studies, um, well, they're kind of advice. I would say that. There should be more academic studies on this and really you know, tracking it. And that's what um, Dr. Panda, that's one of his goals in his lab is to kind of see um, what eating patterns are the most healthy. And, you know, if you're eating strawberries the night before bed, is that going to be as detrimental as eating a hamburger right before bed? So that's really up his alley. And I think there's they're coming out with some pretty exciting findings at this
1: point. And- have you come across in your reading about what you eat first thing in the morning too? So if is it maybe that researchers have found protein is the best thing to help the body support the body clock first in the morning versus a, a a simple carbohydrate that might just spike your insulin or create other effects on your body. Um I don't have you come across any thinking on that? That as you mentioned, that that golden hour when you first wake up, that's I've heard that before, that's when you wanna eat.
0: So luckily, um that golden hour you know you have all day to burn it off, so what I do sometimes is if I need to eat ice cream, i'll do it first thing in the morning. oh, uh. uh, you can get away with it because all that crap that's in it, um all those carbs, you will easily burn up within the first few hours of the day um, so for people that want to uh eat eat what they want then i would recommend doing it first thing for if you're trying to have the best diet i would say protein is probably a great way to go because then it can kind of fuel you um throughout the rest of your day
1: i love that idea i mean that's unconventional thinking to think have ice cream first thing in the morning why wait until the end of the day start your day in a happy way (laughs) yeah yeah i love that (laughs) fantastic um yeah. I mean, there's so much more. I could probably ask you about circadian biology, but I'm going to be going off on a tangent other than skin in that example. So <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that for another talk at another time. But uh, is are there any final remarks you want to make about your study again, um, that maybe people might not be aware of or any other skin circadian biology tips you want to end off on?
0: Um, Anything what? we didn't cover? Yeah, so you're frozen right now. That's why I'm distracted.
1: I know, sorry. uh, Anyone who's watching this on YouTube, (laughs) you're going to see a frozen me, but hopefully you'll still hear my voice okay.
0: So, um, take home would be, you know, eat during the daytime, avoid late night snacking, uh, wear sunscreen because eating alone is, you know, not going to save you, wear protective clothing, and keep up to date with the literature. Also, if you're applying, um, you know, skincare products, your skin will better uh, absorb them and really uh, get the most out of them if you apply those at night. Like I said, because your skin is rejuvenating at night and um, you want your cells to be able to receive the medication or the, you know, moisturizer, um, topical amino acids, whatever you're trying to give it, during the nighttime, so any treatments that you do do them during the night um, during the day just wear lots of sunscreen and avoid eating at night
1: i love that even they're just thinking so people who do use an aqueous cream or a, a cream to keep their skin looking youthful it's more beneficial to definitely apply it at um in the in the night just from a body clock perspective here Fantastic. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge bombs today. They've been fascinating. Um, uh, and I'm sorry for throwing a couple of, uh, ten, you know, side questions on you there. But as you can okay. hear, I, I have a bit of a passion for this. And w- my main goal at the end of the day is to take groundbreaking research and, you know, upfront research like you're doing, and just try apply it in a practical, common sense, practical way that someone can use it today something practical and that's the biggest um takeaway i believe i've gotten from your your research and your thinking is is just think about when you eat and what that's doing to your body clock of your body and particularly your skin in this case fantastic well thank you so much for coming on and for anyone listening again yes i'm frozen if you're watching this on youtube it's gotta love skype um but I'll link to all the everything in the show notes. Uh, that, that's the other point. Actually, um, are there any resources that you'd like to highlight for me to link to? Uh, your lab, your any profiles you want people to follow? We've mentioned um, Dr. Pandas, but anything particularly for your situation?
0: Yeah, I have a Twitter handle, so mm-hmm. it's elite elise dot at Twitter. I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, Joseph Takahashi, who actually discovered the circadian clock in mice. He is at UT Southwestern. He has been an invaluable resource for us in this study, you know, kind of helping um, guide us and bounce ideas and just a really great guy. So um, he also has a Twitter, which I'm sure you can find. other things. We don't have a lab website yet. We're working on it. But the UCI School of Medicine, we're always um, doing outstanding research. Um, We have Dr. Sassoon Corsi, uh, Dr. Paolo Sassoon Corsi at UCI as well. He is a circadian biologist who studies metabolism. So that may be another person you might want to ask to be on your show because he really looks at uh, the circadian clock in the liver and overall organismal metabolism um and how that's affected by the circadian clock so um yeah other than that nope
1: okay fantastic well thank you again so much for coming on uh, for today's talk
0: yeah thank you so much